Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you this evening, sir? Doing well, doing well. Cade, this becomes the true offseason, I feel like, right now. Spring football ended last Saturday. The last practice was on Saturday. There was no spring game for Oklahoma State this year. Basketball transfer portal stuff is going on. Obviously, football transfer portal, I think, is still open for five more days. Right. But people can commit after that. Baseball and softball are going on, but they're start at softball for sure. They're almost done with the regular season. I feel like this now until kind of fall camp is the true off season of the yeah. podcast of the feels like 45 podcast. Yeah, this is where we start pulling out the stops on, you know, ranking or uh, assigning a Mexican food restaurant to a Big 12 school. <laughs> this is where it gets a little bit off the rails for us. Um so we'll try not to do that this off season. I mean, I I I think we probably got some good stuff lined up. Um but yeah, Dustin, it's interesting because our agenda during uh spring, fall, Football and basketball is very much made up for us. And then the offseason is like, all right, well, we need softball and baseball to be pretty good, but uh, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll maneuver through it all. The thing is, you know, we'll obviously do our, we'll do our team previews again, like we did last year. If we can't get a guest on, you know, Kate and I will do our best to preview that team. So we'll have stuff going on. I just, I just wanted to kind of call <laughs> oh, that yeah. out because so it felt like it was it never really ended. I feel like it's going to slow down a little bit in terms of news, especially since football isn't going to really do anything until June anyway that we would really hear about outside of some transfer portal stuff. So I think I think that makes this the first episode of season six. So welcome. I agree. The season six of the Feels Like <laughs> Forty Five podcast. So fantastic. Uh, Dustin, I'll kick it over to you. I know we've got a couple of news and notes to get to some rule changes, which kind of will sh uh, change the complexion of games in college football next year. This is very interesting. Yeah, I feel like it hasn't been talked about a ton, but one of these rules of the three, I think is pretty significant. Kate and I mentioned previous on the podcast, there were multiple rules that were proposed. They were voted on. By and the NCAA playing rules oversight panel announced on April 21st, so last Friday, that they've adopted three new rules for FBS and FCS college football games. The most notable, the one I just called out a second ago, would be that the clock will continue to run after first downs, similar to the NFL, and it'll stop after first downs are in the last two minutes of each half. So, Kate, I, I personally like this one. I wanted to get your take on it. I think anything you can do to kind of make the NFL and college as similar as possible regarding rules is always fine with me. It's not like I'm, I think that they should be exactly the same or think that they shouldn't one way or the other. I just don't really have a hot take on making things the same as the NFL as far as rules go. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that point that making the NFL and college as seamless a transition as possible, like they don't change really 
anything from college basketball to the NBA outside of, you know, floor size and uh, you still got to dribble the ball. And I guess you can take a, a third step. So there are a couple of different nuances. This is an interesting one, though. And the question I held uh, in in our pregame uh, wrap up before we jumped on, I, I just want to know who what data is showing that, you know, viewers are less um inclined to watch a game or what was the catalyst to change this because this will shave off like college football games tend to be like an hour longer than an NFL game so are we trying to move to that model because as you know in the in the MLB right now the pitch clock is like everybody's least favorite thing and games are shorter it feels like a busy restaurant that they're trying to bust you in and out of so I like it I don't think it's that significant a change um but I my biggest question is Who's who's really clamoring for this? Because I well, I personally like a day full of college football. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually not going to argue against you on that point. I do know that I think they've come out and said that that is the reason, though. They're trying yeah, for to short sure. I'm the games. sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> That's the so, reason. I just don't like the reason. I like a long football game, but not a yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. Kind of my take on it was trying to not trying to be you know. Switzerland just in the middle, but <laughs> truly I don't care if it's that's changing fair. to something that's the same as the NFL. Now, if they're creating a new rule to your point, Cade, a new rule that's not in the NFL, a completely new rule. That's not in any level of football. Maybe they've tried it in high school or something and they're bringing it up to, to FBS FCS level to shorten the games. Then I may have a take, a hot take on that because yes, to shorten the games for some weird, obscure, obscure rule that just came out of nowhere. Like you see, and I, I'm not saying I think MLB games should be longer, but some of those rules are just kind of coming out of nowhere. Yeah, it's not like uh, those were totally you know, the new yeah. clock and things of that, making the bases larger. If they were to do that to college football to shorten the game, I may have a problem with it because like you said, I don't know if they need to be that much shorter. That's the thing is I and and maybe to attract more viewers, it's it's a you know, there's got to be data. There's there's got to be a reason that they're doing this that says viewers are more likely to tune in for three hours than four hours. So it's a very uh, interesting time and, and our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. So uh, it's not shocking that it's moving this direction. I just hope it's worthwhile. Mike Gundy talked about rule changes in the offseason season. And even talked at one point about incomplete passes, like the clock running after incomplete passes, which is like, okay, are we trying to wrap up a game in two hours? Because I'm I'm not for that. So it's it's just interesting. It is interesting though to note that Oklahoma State was utilizing this rule in practice already. They were pretty positive. My understanding is they were pretty positive that this one was going to be approved. I'm assuming the MCAA gives some notice to some of these teams like hey these these are some that we're going to put up we think these will get approved or like these are the final five we're going in with if you want to start using them for practice and then three of them get approved that probably doesn't happen exactly like that but Oklahoma State Mike Gundy they got wind that this rule was probably going to be approved and they've been using that in their situational in their situational periods and in team drills so that's good to know that oklahoma state will already kind of have a little bit of a feel for it in practice they'll obviously drill it again in fall camp along with that real k the other two we don't have to go into detail on these but banning consecutive timeouts think of when teams try to ice a kicker on a late field goal try can't take two timeouts in a row 
And then the other one, Cade, I don't really want to get into it, but it fouls committed on the last play of the second or fourth quarter will now be carried over to the third quarter or an overtime period rather than playing an untimed down. Yeah, you, I mean, you can't say it and not. Ex- I mean, are they going to give us the win? Are that are do are we being grandfathered into this rule? Are we going back in time and using this rule on previous games? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's hilarious. That <laughs> that rule. I mean, Oklahoma State continues to revolutionize the way we operate. I mean, killed the BCS, might kill the NCAA due to the basketball sanctions, and now this. Uh, Oklahoma State's on the front uh, leading edge of all this for, you know, better or worse. They truly are. I, Kate, I think that's all we really had on the rules, unless you had anything else. We can no, kind of get no. into some of the practice notes now. So, as I said, Oklahoma State. So, I was at practice, not this past Saturday, but the one before. So, there was three practices after that, the Monday, Wednesday, and the Saturday. What you and I had heard and what Mike Gundy even said to the media is that they were going to go to the ground on Saturday, kind of a full live scrimmage practice. They ended up not doing that. They kept it with kind of that thud mentality where you hit and wrap up, but don't take it to the ground. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. I think Mike Gundy with the good fortune he's had with injuries compared to last season, as far as offensive linemen go, as far as wide receivers go, I just don't think he wanted to chance it. Do you have any issue with no, that? No, I, I actually like I it. I don't think it's a problem at all, but I wanted to get your take. I, I actually, once you started saying that, I, my brain went to where yours did. Maybe we're so healthy in this spring, knock on wood, that there is zero reason to chance that and get into fall camp with a healthy roster. I And I'm sure the, the last few seasons are fresh on Mike Gundy's mind uh, with injuries. Hundred percent, and it was still a really physical practice, to my understanding. They had a Big Twelve officiating crew there at the other practices. I believe it was like an NAIA officiating crew. But I can tell you from that practice, these officials were official. They they didn't look like just some students that they brought in. To yeah, it wasn't like score OKC out there or anything. No, these guys were legit officials in the in in their full attire. They looked they looked legit to me anyway. I, but you know, I. I don't know what a legit official Just looks huge like. Huge biceps. But. That's the, the qualifier. <laughs> but they, so they had a full Big 12 crew this time. So it was a full on practice. I, I believe it was still really physical. A lot of good notes from it. Alan Bowman, I think he continues to kind of elevate himself above everybody else. But Garrett Rangel has looked really good as well. Had one of our friends who uh, gave us some notes from Extreme Camp. He was actually at practice this Saturday. He gave me a few notes on some things I missed. I I did notice somebody, I think a couple of people called out, we didn't spend a ton of time on the running backs. I mentioned on the podcast, and I I might have not explained this very well, all three of the running backs, Collins, Gordon, and Nixon, were rotating in and out with the ones, twos, and threes. And... I thought they all looked solid, but none of them really popped. So I wanted to spend more time on some of the other position groups. But I know when our friend of the pod was there, he said Elijah Collins had a nice run. It sounds like he's more kind of the guy that can do it all, Cade. He's got the vision, the strength, the one-cut ability. He can run the zone scheme. He can run the gap scheme as well, but he seems to be like, if we would have had Elijah Collins last season in the zone scheme, I think he would have taken a lot of snaps and a lot of carries from Dom 
So if Oklahoma State ends up kind of reverting back to some of that in a specific game this year, I think you could see his carries really elevate. But I think he's kind of the do-it-all guy. Can he do it all for the full season? Right. And does he have the kind of explosiveness and kind of that I'm the guy mentality that we know an Ollie Gordon does and that we've seen on the sidelines and in games last year and at that practice I was at, he's just a ball of energy that wants the ball at all times. I don't know. That's why, like, I don't really know who will be RB one. I think it's between Collins and Gordon. If you were to ask me who's one on the depth chart, who gets the first carry in the first game, I would think it would be Gordon. I think Jaden Nixon is going to be used a ton. We talked about it. I think they've created specific packages for Nixon And this isn't just something that I think, you know, last season we were like, yeah, Nixon, he's a third down guy. I, I saw it and we've heard it that they truly are using him a ton in these team practices. If that doesn't translate over to the season at all, I would be shocked. I think he's going to be used more quite a bit more than he was last year. So I did want to hit on the running backs and just kind of go through them since we got a couple of questions about why we didn't go into detail on them, but yeah. in the specific practice I was at, they weren't really, there wasn't really anything that popped, but there wasn't really anything that popped negatively either. Yeah. And I, I love the kind of clarification you gave there. The thing about Elijah Collins and Ollie Gordon for me that I'm waiting to see is that on the surface, they appear to be similar running backs. And I think more similar than, you know, a Ollie Gordon and Sean Tyler from Western Michigan would have been where you really had these contrasting styles, almost like a Jaden Nixon provides. So what I'm interested to see is how those two separate from each other, because we're talking about what I believe are two do it all backs. Like I think that they both want the ball and can really provide uh, that spark. But I just think that, you know, stylistically they're similar. So I'm excited to see who separates but I don't know if we see that until the season. And I agree with you. I think Ollie gets that first carry. Another group we didn't really hit on a lot, but I wanted to talk about a little bit in this practice and bring in a little bit of the notes from, from the last practice as well, were the tight ends and the fullbacks. Cassidy had a huge catch and run in the practice I was at. It sounds like he had another one. And then Josiah Johnson seems to be kind of that guy over the middle that Alan Bowman is able to find if he's not able to get to his one or two, he's able to come back across the middle or look to the side to open up the middle and come back to Josiah Johnson. So I do think Cade that the tight ends and fullbacks will be utilized in the passing game. The problem is with what we've seen and not a problem, but just thinking about it analytically, it was at times zero targets for the tight end for the cowboy backs right. in games last year. Some games there was maybe three or four. So if you extrapolate that through a whole season, you're probably averaging about like one target a game. I think that bumps up to maybe three. Is three a lot? No, but that's a lot more than the average was last right. season. So I personally wouldn't expect it to be a ton of targets for the tight ends and cowboy backs, but I do think they will hit them as they go through as Bowman goes through his progressions finds one of those guys. I do think there will be some specific plays like leaking the fullback out into the flat, which Kansas state did do us many times last season and really hurt us on. I think you see some of those plays, but to think that they are going to target the cowboy backs or the, the fullbacks and tight ends eight, nine, 10 times a game. I just think that's unrealistic without seeing them do it at least once. I, I don't think I could make yeah. that prediction. 
Yeah, I don't think they're going to go full Iowa State uh, in week one or really even week 12. I, I I think the ability there and the the play is you, you could if you wanted to, but I think they have so much skill talent on the perimeter that they, they may not need to. And additionally, I don't think you have a Charlie Kolar or an Austin Stogner on the roster. I think you have, and I think this is a wait and see. I think Josiah Johnson is going to be good, but does it translate to this level of football, especially to week one where, you know, is he going to get six targets? I, I really, really doubt that. Yeah, I agree. And you're surely going to notice them more this season because the tight ends are, which we mentioned last week, are motioning on pretty much every play. And then when you see one of these fullbacks lined up in the I formation as a true hand-in-the-ground fullback, that's going to catch your eye the first several times they do I that. I just want so, a wham block. That's it. <laughs> they will be guys you notice, so overall more noticeable, I think. But Cassidy has looked really good is what I'm hearing and what I saw in that practice I was at. Wide receiver-wise, just wanted to hit a couple quick notes. Rashad Owens was kind of the MVP of the skill position players when I was there. It sounds like when my buddy was, when our buddy was there, it was stribbling kind of went off in this practice with Jaden Bray right behind him, kind of like a one, a one B on who had the the best practice. So because I've talked so much about Owens and he's kind of a, I think I had him ranked in the wide receiver depth chart. If you take all the outside guys, I'd probably put Owens as the fourth guy behind a Bray stribbling and Blaine green. So I wanted to hit on those two guys who were kind of one and two, because it sounds like they really dominated on Saturday's practice. Yeah. I mean, no surprise. I've, I've said for several months now that I think the skill talent at wide receiver has increased since last year. I think you lost something in depth, but those, those four guys, especially if Rashad Owens is as good as we're hearing, seeing in some cases, um, I, I think that unlocks a lot. On the defense, our buddy had one of the main takeaways that I did as well. Man, the defensive backs look good. And he oh, said the defense probably overall won the day. Defensive line looks solid. Kind of the same take we had about the two defensive line kind of dominating the two offensive line. And we talked about some reasons why that's happening with you know only rotating three guys in with each group on the defensive line. A guy I didn't hit on that we talked about a lot before we got into the spring. He was a guy they got from JUCO, Ladarius Webb Jr., who's got the NFL pedigree from his dad. It, sound, it sounds like to me, and I didn't see him a lot in the practice I was at. I asked my buddy to keep an eye on him. It sounds like he's looking really good athletically, but might be kind of a developmental piece to kind of learn the game at this level. But athletic-wise, he sees him, he said he, he could see him as being a really, really good player in the future. I just I'm not sure if he's going to crack the two deep this year. And I don't we don't have him currently on our two yeah. two deep that we've been talking about. He's been a guy that since the beginning we've been talking about is one what if and you wonder about because I think the pedigree everybody's interested in. He comes from Juco. He was highly regarded out of that. So he kind of becomes a little bit of a total unknown, but high upside. And so um, I'm I'm curious to see how it goes for him, but not shocking that that's the case. There's a learning curve, and I think Oklahoma State is in really good shape at safety right now. I agree. A couple other names we didn't go into a ton of detail on last week that I wanted to call out. Hale Smith, one of the backup cornerbacks rotation guys, 
he looked really good in the practice I was at, and it sounds like he picked off a pass from Alan Bowman and made a good return on it recently in one of the practices from last week. Another guy, walk-on nose tackle from Jinx, A.J. Reidner. Oh, this wow. is a guy Adam Lunt really likes, our boy Adam Lunt. Sounds like he's continued to have some good practices. He had, he had a good one when we were there. It sounds like last week and all spring, he's practiced really, really well. Again, I don't think a guy that cracks the two deep, but maybe a diamond in the rough walk on that becomes a a guy that does get snaps in the future. So that that was pretty cool. And then Colin Clay continues to look really good. I think he blocked a field goal in a practice last week. So a couple of guys on the defense I wanted to call out that we didn't we went into a ton of detail on these guys last week. So if right. you want to go back to that podcast, we recorded literally two days after I was at the practice, Adam Lunt and Alex Fuller gave us a ton of good notes as well. So you can go back and look at that. But I just wanted to call out some guys that we didn't go into a ton of detail on. Man, we're going to be starving for some football notes once it gets to July. I mean, this <laughs> this is a long break. That's three full months until we put the pads back on. So uh, spring football did a good job of whetting our appetite, but I'm, I'm already going to miss it. Yeah, Cade. Okay. I'm good on spring football. Did you want to hit some recruiting notes for yeah, you to basketball? I, I would love to actually. So one thing before we get into recruiting, I haven't seen this written about a ton, but something I wanted to call out, and I don't even think you and I have really talked about this starting on July 1st. So soon recruits no longer have the five official visit limit. They can now take as many official visits as they would like. So they approved the change on April 13th, the NCAA Council. And the official visits are the ones that are officially fully paid for by the school with families allowed to accompany the prospect, travel costs, lodging, meals, entertainment, with, with some guidelines on the entertainment and meals part provided. Do you think that plays a huge part in recruiting? I know it's going to make it way harder for us to kind of figure out if a guy's leaning one way or the other, because right. sometimes, you know, when they set up that fifth visit, that last visit, I, I know there's some data analytics out there. We've talked about before on how that last visit is no, or the last visit they take officially becomes kind of the school that that prospective athlete commits to now with unlimited, you could throw one in right before the deadline and that becomes the new last one. So it's hard to kind of, visually see a schedule of all five now you could kind of add one in whenever that's the first thing that popped into my head i don't know how it hurts but it doesn't help and i think the only way i think that this can hurt a school like oklahoma state is you know if if your recruiting budget is you know, night and day different from an Alabama. Are you even able to host as many recruits because they are paid for? Like, does that, I mean, I, I don't under, I don't fully understand the economics of it quite yet to have a full opinion on it, but that would be the only pitfall I could see is does Oklahoma state have the bandwidth uh, financially to be able to take on more visitors? I'm not positive, um, but I don't, I don't really know how much it changes operationally because Oklahoma state has always had, a very focused scope. They offer on average, some of the fewest amount of prospects in the power five level. They're not throwing the widest net out there. And I think it's intentional. So I don't know how much it changes for OSU. Yeah. Just an interesting nugget, but that, that was a good rational take. <laughs> so thank you for going into that because I, I wasn't really sure how to take it at first. My thought was just, man, now Kate and I are going to be able to say, 
hey, we yeah. think this guy might go here because his last official visit, his fifth official visit is yeah. at that school. So and act like we know, be- right? Yeah. <laughs> Darn. Yeah. So that takes that part away, but it's going to be really interesting. We'll see kind of how I would love to see, you know, in five years down the road, how it's kind of changed the recruiting landscape if it has at all. So it's going to be interesting to watch recruiting wise, Oklahoma state specific OSU landed a big time commitment, Landon Cleveland in the 2024 class. He's a safety six foot, 185 pounds, three-star on 247 from Mansfield Legacy in Texas. He's the number 52-rated safety in the country, number 77 in Texas. He had previously announced that he was going to commit on June 23rd, but he officially visited Stillwater last Saturday, went ahead and committed. He still has a Texas visit, Cade, set up in June to go to Austin. That's a little concerning, this is a big time get. I don't know how much film you've been ever to watch on him, but he had narrowed down his top 12 to Arizona, Arizona State, Auburn, Houston, Louisville, Michigan, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, Penn State, TCU, Texas, and Texas Tech. I believe he had 30 plus total offers. Jeez. He was one of Coach Nardo's first offers once he got to Oklahoma State. I know Coach Dan Hammerschmidt was heavily involved. I mean, this is your rover safety i know he's not the same size as a kindle daniels but not many people are this is your six one six foot one probably ends up being you know 200 205 pounds that plays that rover spot that rover safety in coach nardo's defense yeah i i mean he's a really interesting prospect i think it's going to be if he ends up staying with oklahoma state one of the top prospects in this class i would assume and by by the end of it, probably a four-star prospect. Or maybe it doesn't say that, but that that's probably what he ends up being. And athletically, I think he's very gifted. And it does give me some Jelani McDonald vibes, the fact that there's a, a Texas visit hanging out there still, but we won't speak that evil. Um, it's a big get. <laughs> I, uh, he's already kind of recruiting others on Twitter, and it's it's good to see that. Yeah, he seemed he seems like an awesome guy. I saw uh, Pokes Report had a couple of interviews on him. I believe they even did one on Robert Allen's radio show. So that's probably on Spotify if you want to go listen to that. But he seems awesome. I really liked watching his huddle tape. We'll do a full breakdown on him later. But very physical. He had a hundred over a hundred tackles last season. Over a hundred tackles as a sophomore. He plays kind of that free safety type of role. Normally lined up to the boundary side cover one, cover three, center fielder type guy who will come up and make a hit. I I really like him overall as an athlete, as a physicality, contested catch, go up and get the ball, defensive back. He's going to be, if Oklahoma State can hang on to him and he he gets through that Texas visit and doesn't decommit or anything like that, I think this is a guy you see rating increase to possibly close to a four-star when it's all said and done. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. I think he, right now he's probably even undervalued by some of those services. Agreed. One guy I wanted to hit real quick before we get into visits. Oklahoma State offered 2024 tight end Zach Smith from Colorado, six foot seven, 245 pound tight end from Thunder Ridge High School. Oh my god. Cool high school name in Littleton, Colorado. He's a three-star. His first power five offer was Oklahoma State. He's obviously going to be a senior next year. He holds offers from Memphis, Miami, Ohio, and Southeast Missouri State. Kansas hosted him at a junior day in March. They have not offered yet. 
He's currently ranked as the number 74 tight end in the class, number 20 overall recruit in Colorado. Only 11 receptions for 108 yards and a touchdown last season, but he looks more like a pass-catching, big-body, move-the-chains tight end than he does a kind of big, burly tackle that was converted to a tight end. Even though I'm I'm saying he's 6'7", 245, he looks more athletic than that. So it'll be interesting to see how his recruitment plays out. But with Oklahoma State getting in early, with them moving to more of this inline tight end, I thought it was a very interesting offer, so I wanted to call it out. I mean, it's just that description, 6'7", 245, that reminds me of K-State. That's a big-bodied tight end. I'm, I'm excited to see how this goes. You would think Oklahoma State would be competitive with that offer sheet, too. I, I, I think I think they could probably be in a pretty good spot here. 67245 from Thunder Ridge. Bring the Thunder to Stillwater. That's very easy for me. I love it. Uh, the visitor Saturday, Landon Cleveland was there, along, who committed. Along with him, a guy we've talked about on here, he's on the all-name team, Legend Journey. 2024 defensive lineman, 6'2", 250 pounds, three-star from Mansfield Summit, not to be confused with Mansfield Legacy, where Landon Cleveland is from. He's the number 88 defensive lineman, number 121 in Texas. Highland Reed, 2024 linebacker, 6'2", 210 pounds, not rated. He's also from Mansfield Summit with Legend Journey. Demiron Johnson, 2024 defensive lineman, 6'2", 275 pounds, three-star from Westgate High School in New Iberia, Louisiana. He's the number 46 defensive lineman, number 17 overall player in Louisiana. Along with him, Kobe Branham, 2024 interior offensive lineman, 6'5", 320 pounds, three-star, again from Mansfield Summit, number 66 defensive lineman, number 11 overall player in Arkansas. Really like Kobe Branham. He is a big-time Arkansas fan. I've seen him mention that in several (laughs) articles. He has an offer from them. I'm thinking that's where he's going to go, but we'll move on. And Ori Williams, 2024, offensive tackle, 6'7", 320 pounds, yes. three-star, again, from Mansfield Summit. Several guys from Mansfield Summit in. He's a uh, number 96 overall player in Texas, and I think he's like the number 52 offensive lineman. So all those guys were there. Along with uh, recently, there was an unofficial visit in 2025 from another tight end prospect to Sahan Brahmi. He's a four-star guy. Those were everybody that were in last week. Just wanted to kind of run through them. We've talked about, I think, 90% of these guys before on the podcast, so we won't go through all of them in detail. Again, legend journey. It just I just want him on name alone. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. And there, there's some... Good names here. I mean, Demiron Johnson, Kobe Branham, Desan Brame, those are all good, good names to have, but none as good as legend. I mean, why why didn't our parents name us legend? I, I I'll take that up with my dad. <laughs> I think they just knew how our lives were gonna pan out. But yeah, very average. Yeah. Kate, that's it on football. That wow. probably was the shortest I, in a while. <laughs> Did you slap the buzzer? I think that's it. I think we're in in record time. <laughs> I'll call Guinness at the break. Before we get to basketball, (laughs) we'll send it to a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both 
are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast all All right, Dustin, welcome back. Nice to shatter records, our own PRs together as we uh, attempt to, uh, well, we're not attempting, but it's just the nature of where we got with a shorter, uh, no offseason, no uh, spring content to talk through. So, Dustin, big news on the basketball transfer portal front. Uh, Javon Small, a guy that you and I have been talking about for weeks now uh, as a potential candidate for Oklahoma State commits at a position of great need and I think is probably your starting point guard for Oklahoma State next year this is a this is a big one 100% yeah from East Carolina we talked about him on here I think for the last four or five podcasts Cade you were apparently 100% correct he did not take that visit when he first was supposed to at Oklahoma State obviously we know he canceled the Ohio State visit I actually think I saw maybe it was in an article that it might have been something medically related, yeah. not anything related to playing, but like a dentist situation or something like that. So he had to miss, and I think everything's cleared up with that. Hopefully so. Don't want to wish anybody going to the dentist multiple times. Apologies to any dentist out there. Just saying. But he came in this past weekend. He decides to commit. He still took his OU visit and and ended yeah. up committing to Oklahoma State, which I think the OU visit was after the Oklahoma State visit. Is that well, correct? It the no the OU visit was before the Oklahoma the OU State visit was first. Visit, okay, but it was after they had received a commitment from Davion McCollum. So it was Javion McCollum. I'm sorry. And so it was a little bit concerning because those were duplicate kind of positions, and you were like, okay, is OU going to try to take both of them? Ultimately, Oklahoma State gets their guy, and I think they were on Javon Small from the beginning, and I think that it probably highlights – you can almost kind of read the tea leaves with Oklahoma State. Like, if they're not offering guys in the portal, it's because they have a guy they're looking at, and you saw as other point guards entered the portal, Oklahoma State's name kept coming up less and less frequently. So this – points to that and uh again i i think he's a, a position of great need and quality starting point guard at east carolina 15 points a game six assists on average um i think that's as many assists a game as oklahoma state had as a team last year so i think brings a different level of uh vision and passing to the point guard position that they have not had uh probably since Cade cunningham yeah and he's not a guy that shoots the three at a particularly high efficiency. He does shoot it six attempts a game, 33%. It's not great, but you know, he's 47% on two point field goals. We talked about him playing a high minutes per game in the games that he did play. You said 15.8 points a game last season, 5.6 assists, 4.8 rebounds. 
over a steal a game on the defensive end. These are all things that Oklahoma State needed a facilitator, a true point guard. I think they've got it in the six foot two hundred and they list him at a hundred and eighty pounds. I think it looks bigger than that. I, I think so. I, I'm not sure exactly what his weight will be on the Oklahoma State roster, but I, I like him. Cade, my only concern, I've seen a couple people point out the three-point shooting. My concern is the fact that he only played in 16 games as a freshman in only 18 games last season due to a season-ending knee injury. Yeah, The fact, the little amount of, I mean, that's basically, what, 50% of the games yeah. in each of those seasons? Does that concern you at all? Sure. Sure it does. I mean, Oklahoma State needs a point guard, and they need a guy that's going to come in and carry the load. You saw how the season crumbled in front of them without their starting point guard. And I said this, I think Javon Small is an upgrade from Avery Anderson. I think that you lose some athleticism, but not a lot. And I think you gain in his ability to distribute the basketball. Outside of his health, Dustin, I'll give you another thing I'm concerned about. If he's a facilitator, who does he facilitate to for Oklahoma State? And I think that kind of leads us down the next conversation in the portal. Do you have a shooter that when he's creating space is going to knock the shot down? I, I'm still not convinced that they do. Yeah, and there's a couple of guys since the last podcast, perfect segue from UK as well, that Oklahoma State is receiving interest uh, they are receiving interest from Oklahoma State, but of the new guys outside of Seamus Lucasius, who we talked about last time, none and none of these guys really shoot the three at a really high clip. You know, there's Glenn Taylor Jr. from Oregon State, who I think shot shoots about thirty percent from the three point line. There's Yarin Hassan, who's a big man from UConn, six nine, two hundred five pounder. Trey White. From USC, 27% from three. Again, not on a ton of attempts, but the fact that he's not attempting them makes you think he's not a great shooter from there. And they do have a guy like Noah Thomason from Niagara, the guard, who shoots 38% career from three. Again, not on a ton of attempts, but Thomason is taking visits, and I, I didn't see Oklahoma State included yeah. in there, so I don't know how close the interest is there between Oklahoma State and him, or if the kind of Javon Small signing has deterred him a little bit. But to your point, of the remaining guy, of the guys that there's new interest on, there's not that many that are true shooters. So I'm a little, that's my concern as well. Where do they go next in the portal? Do they wait for more guys to enter? Do they circle back to some of the guys that they initially had interest on that we hadn't heard from in a while? What do you think they kind of do to address that need? Well, I think that the kid from Butler kind of holds the keys in a way for the next step for Oklahoma State. Seamus Lukosius, 38% three-point shooter, kind of the stretch four that Oklahoma State is looking for, um, has been looking for for quite some time. I think, though, Dustin, that a guy like Glenn Taylor or um, I know there's another guy from Michigan that they offered who's a similar you know, body type six, yeah, seven, uh, Greg Glenn. Yeah. Greg Glenn. Thank you. Um, I do think that there's a place for them in this roster with the departure of Woody Newton. I think that they're going to try 100%. to kind of rethink that particular position 
And if you can turn that person into a maybe more downhill scorer, which both of those guys are, um, I, I'm a fan of both of them. And I think what they would add something, and especially if you have a facilitating point guard next year that can create space, you need a knockdown shooter who can stand in the corner and hit a three consistently. I think Bryce Thompson can do that, but he's better when he's running up and down the floor than he is standing at the three point line. So it's very interesting, but back to my original point, I think Lucosius holds the keys. I think he's the guy that Oklahoma state is looking for at this point. Cincinnati, he took a visit to, they just took a stretch four. So again, reading the tea leaves, it feels like Oklahoma state's in a good position here. And if they can get both small and Lucosius, we talked about this last week, I, th- I start to feel a little bit better about where things are at. I think you still need maybe, Dustin, a little more athleticism on the perimeter and some scoring because at that point, your backcourt looks like, I mean, is it uh, Javon Small, Bryce Thompson, and Seamus Lucosius or Eric Daly? I think you probably want a little bit more floor spacing at that point and a little bit more speed up and down the floor. So a um, lot of unknowns with this roster right now, but that's that's really where I'm focusing. And not to add on, but with Tyreek Smith entering the portal, right. which he entered after we talked last time, you do need, I think, I mean, at this last last podcast, I think we were saying you probably need another big this time, I mean, now you do need there's at been... least somebody in case there's injury or something like that. I know we talked about Hassan from UConn, but he he doesn't really – he only played in like 11 games and only he took like like three shots. He played like a total of 14 minutes in 11 games too. He is not the guy that's going to come in and help, and that's what they need. Right. I'll say this. I think Brandon Garrison is going to be good. I don't know if it's day one, though, and I have a lot of concerns about trying to throw him into this Big 12 that just added Houston. You know what I mean? So um, to me, I would actually look at two of the guys that just announced that they're leaving and have not committed anywhere. Caleb Boone obviously going to UNLV with his brother, but is there a chance that you see a Tyreek Smith, let's say, is probably the more likely candidate to come back, I have I haven't heard anything on this regard, but if it was NIL related, I I think Oklahoma State might be in a decent spot to figure that out. And and frankly, Dustin, it would solve a lot of my worries if they were just able to get him out of the portal. And if if you're able to get a guy like a Seamus and you've already got small, does a Musa Cisse not think about coming back at that point Man, with the he, fact that now you've got a true facilitating point guard, and you got a guy that could stretch the floor to open the middle up for you a little bit more, knowing you don't have a Caleb Boone or Tyreek Smith that kind of, we saw them, Boynton used them efficiently out there with CSA at times, but that is kind of clogging up the paint. And when you go two bigs, it it hurts that pick and roll, roll right. to the rim action that CSA loves to finish on, whether that be dunking or scoring down low just in general out of that kind of dunker spot, low post area. So maybe to your point, maybe that entices him or, or Smith to come back. But I think, I almost think they need to land another guy to entice yeah, them. Cause I, right now you with just small, what is that the pitch? Like you're the other guy with small, you need a floor spacing whew. shooter as well. I mean, Dustin, the roster is gutted. Like, let's just be very clear about the situation that Oklahoma State is in. You lose Avery Anderson, Caleb Boone, Musa Cisse. Right there, that is a huge chunk of your offensive usage. And so I 
I, I think you're right. I think even if you were able to pull somebody back out, you need to get somebody new. And I don't think it's Lucosius. I think Lucosius is almost in a position of his own. Like they need him and another big, like they need him, Tyreek Smith and another big, because right, right. now they have four slots available after Javon small committed. That's assuming they don't take the scholarship reduction this year, which by the way, Dustin, I'm not convinced that they're going to do that this year. I, I, truly believe that this is a make or break year and you need all your chips at the front of the table. And I'm not sold that they will take the scholarship reduction this year. If they can delay it till next year, they need to build the roster back out. Oh yeah. If, if I'm Mike Boynton and I see a way that I can add enough guys on yeah, this roster zero chance. that I truly think it's an NCAA tournament team, then yes, I'm, I'm doing, I'm all in this year because 100%. you may, you may not have an next year. I know you and I don't know We've talked about how hot we think his seat really is, but if you miss the tournament again, I don't know if you get fired right away, but the next season we've talked about your seat is on fire. Yeah, Dustin, I don't know if they can go 17 and 15 again next year. I mean, I, right. yeah. the temperature has already, I mean, think about how high the, and we don't have to get all the way into this, but think about how high his approval rating was a year and a half ago to where it is now. I think Oklahoma State fans like it, but they, they just want to see a, the wins follow. And outside of one season with the best player in that class, they have not done it. And so I think the questions are rightfully being asked, but the let's just get all the way back to the front of this. Javon Small is a really good step in the right direction. And oh, yeah, I think four star in the portal. Well, I think highlights too, like we had talked about, you know, there's a lot of chatter about NIL and Oklahoma State is screwed. That sh this should put that to bed, right? I mean, he was being pursued by several big time programs. I, I think that's over with. Yeah, I agree. So, if okay, let me ask you a question. If they were to get one of Trey White, Glenn Taylor Jr., or Greg Glenn, and I know they haven't officially expressed expressed interest to Greg Glenn, but to give a little background on him, like Cade mentioned, he's from Michigan. Mike Boynton was his first offer back in April right. of 2019. He's a 6'7", 230-pounder, not a ton of minutes, hasn't been able to crack the roster, but a former highly touted recruit. If they were to get one of those guys, are you fine with them taking one of them since they have four spots left? Assuming they go for another big, go for another Absolutely. shooter, are you okay with a guy like that? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I, I have questions about, you know, like a guy like Keon Williams, who is so positionless anyway, like you kind of in these with these six, seven forwards that don't shoot the ball all that well, those guys are a little bit positionless too. So I would take them, I think, just out of, out of athleticism and the way Mike Boynton likes to build his roster, I think they would. Yeah, and they're like I said earlier, they're running out of guys that we know that they've shown interest in. I, there's still a ton of people in the portal, but just to kind of go back to that point, you know, Must Mustafa Amzil from Dayton committed to New Mexico, Ike Cornish from Maryland, Ohio State, MJ Rice to NC State, Carlos Stewart, a guy we just talked about in the last podcast from Santa Clara to LSU. So guys like Joel Brown from Cal, RJ Lewis from UMass, uh, Wells from TCU. That's really it of the like 40 guys. That well, Shahade we Wells put out his top four and OSU's not in yeah, it. Yeah, no, OSU's not in it. So yeah, he, him as well. Tyler Perry hasn't officially committed, but he put out a finalist in yeah. Oklahoma State is not in it. So there's really not that many guys left from that original list. So 
if someone commits, it could be someone that we didn't even hear that they had interest in. That was all I wanted to kind of call out from it. But Kate, I, I think to wrap it up, unless you have any other thoughts, there's still a ton of work to be done, but small is a great step in the right direction. Small is a large step in the right direction, if I can if I can go there. I would agree with that. I and I love the wordplay. Very journalist of you. Um the last thing I'll say is that I think we're still early in the portal. This is it is April 25th. There are guys that are going to be in the portal that are not today. And the other thing I would say is watch the draft. Watch the guys that are coming back out of the draft process and back into college that have entered the portal or have not because they still can. So I would just be aware of that as yeah, like they have a, until June 1st. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of time left in this. And I I don't blame Mike Boynton for being this appears on the outside to be a little bit more methodical than you know look at Oklahoma. They are offering literally everybody. I Oklahoma State's not doing that and I, I can see uh, the anxiety in that, but I personally appreciate it because it does feel like that there's a conscious effort to build the roster by position and fit. So I, I, I would say watch the portal for guys that are not in it and also watch the NBA draft. Watch the guys who are not going to get picked come back. Yeah, I agree. I hey, almost said I a think... name, but I won't do it. <laughs> I think we're good on basketball. Did you have anything else? I'm I'm good. Holy cow, we are flying. <laughs> You're welcome, listener. Well, let's move on to baseball and softball. I I wanted to pull up too as well the Big 12 baseball standings because I wanted to use that as part of the argument. I didn't have that pulled up. So pulling that up right now, not argument, but just kind of the part of this recap. So Oklahoma State goes to KU to Lawrence, Kansas. Sweeps Kansas. We said they had to do that. Right. That was a, it was a have to. Kansas is better than they were last season. They have five wins already, which is more than they had all of last season with multiple series left to go for them in Big 12 play. They've got the coach from Dallas, ba the former assistant coach from Dallas Baptist who was at LSU. They're on the up and up, a bunch of new transfers in. But Oklahoma State needed to sweep them, even though it's on the road, even though they're better than they were last year. They had to do it, and they did. In the way things played out, Oklahoma State is now back to second in the Big 12 Conference standings. When two weeks ago, when we were on this podcast, because we didn't talk baseball last week due to some time constraints, we thought, you and I both thought, man, they really need to do a lot to get back in this yeah. thing. Well, what they, the only thing they could control is winning their games. They did it, and now they're back in a good position. The problem is Oklahoma state has played more big 12 games than some of these teams. They don't have a big 12 series for the next two weekends that have Michigan. And then I think it's East Tennessee state. So some of these teams may be able to make up some ground as far as winning percentage goes, total wins, but Oklahoma state's sitting in a good spot right now to control their own destiny. Yeah. I mean, Anytime you get a sweep, it's important, especially as th this is a round robin conference schedule. You're going to play everybody. Everybody plays everybody. So I, it had to happen. Oklahoma State takes care of business. And now you've got really two weeks to kind of prepare, prepare for the end of this year, which Oklahoma State's going to need to go on a little bit of a tear to, to try to win this conference. So um, agreed. Great first step. It's the first step of many, though. And no game tonight. It was rained out with Wichita State. They're not going to make it up. Actually kind of wanted them to play Wichita State again. 
see if they could get that victory, yeah. boost that RPI a little bit. But just to kind of recap this series quickly, Friday night, 15 to 10 victory. Oklahoma State sure showed they had to score some runs. Jerron Watts Brown struggles again in the start. I think that shoulder's still bothering him. You know, yeah, that messed up when he was going early in the season. They held him out. I think it's still bothering him. I would love for it to heal up this season to where he can get back to that level we saw him for basically three starts in a row get to. I mean, he was top in the country in strikeouts. He's still up there because of how many he had during that run. But it's tough to kind of watch him struggle. However, the Oklahoma State bullpen this weekend was really, really good. Evan O'Toole came in in that first game. He got a win. His second win in in that many outings, he looked really good. Bergman and Mindum, Wolfert, Adkinson got a lot of hits, several home runs in that game. Game two, Oklahoma State dominates 14-3. to Ben Abram, after some so-so starts recently, comes out, pitches five and two-thirds inning, allowing just two runs with four Ks. He looked really good. Riggio and Wolfert were kind of the guy, and Bergman kind of dominating at the plate there. Gabe Davis, the freshman, Looked good, getting the save, his first career save. And then in game three, Oklahoma State wins eight to three, which puts them at 28 and 13 overall. And they're 11 and seven in the Big 12, trailing West Virginia, who's eight and four. Riggio, Mindum, Riggio, uh, sorry, I already said Riggio, Schubert, Brown, Wolfert, all getting hits in that game. Baden Root looked good. He's been really up and down, but he looked really good. Binge went three innings. He actually got into some trouble and got out of it. He pitched and batted in the three-hole. A lot to take on for him. They haven't been stretching him very long, but he didn't look terrible for strikeouts, which is close to his career high there. Overall, it was a pretty good weekend. They're still not ranked in D1 baseball. They're 24 in RPI. But some of those statistics that we talked about dropping, like batting average on base percentage, are ticking back up. They're still top 25 in fielding percentage. Some of the pitching, though, Cade, it's, it's really been the starting pitching that's hurt them in these kind of recent weekends, even during this winning streak, the bullpen's kind of had to step up, which the bullpen was kind of the weaker part earlier in the season during that losing streak. Yeah. I mean, pitching has always been the concern for this year's team, but it was not the, the bullpen saving the day in some of these cases, it was the starting pitching being so good. So uh, yeah, it's, Again, it kind of goes back and paints a little bit of a picture. This has been a little bit of a up and down type of year, really from the start. You really don't know as you look at the game in like these 10 game bursts, uh, or I'm sorry, as you look at the season in these 10 game bursts, the the patterns are changing and you'd love a little bit of consistency to end this season to know kind of what's coming, especially as it comes down to the pitching. 100%. One to call out Tyler Wolfert. Seven hits on the weekend, Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. I love Aiden Miola. Aiden Miola is a really good player. But if you're blaming Aiden Miola's injury for some of the recent losses, I don't think you can because Wolfert's been great at third base and his bat has been on fire since basically (laughs) since he took over from Miola. So not a shot at Miola. I think he's an amazing player. And I was really down when he got injured. But Wolford's kind of stepped up there. The McLean injury, on the other hand, has been a little bit of an issue, not only for his you know, proficiency as a pitcher, but at the plate. Mindham's getting out of his slump. Darty's back at catcher, not injured anymore. Earhart's back to everyday starting at center field. 
So some things are looking up. Hopefully McLean can get back Need it. in that DH role, but I don't know if he'll be able to come back pitching anytime soon. So Oklahoma State's kind of dealing with that. Now you're really feeling kind of the Ryan Yurs going down early, the bogus having to work back slowly in that bullpen. And now with McLean out as the closer, you're kind of trying to have to figure out some different things there. So we'll see. They get Michigan this weekend, not a big 12 conference series, obviously. Michigan's not ranked. They're number 87 in RPI. Favorable matchup for Oklahoma State. They're number two, 253 in batting average, 224 in on-base percentage, and 186 in home runs. So not a great hitting team. Oklahoma State should be able to come in, get some hits, put up some runs, let the bats kind of lead the way and have the pitching just kind of do what they did at in the Kansas series and just not give up too much. And I think they should come out at least two wins, but I'm thinking a sweep. Yeah, I, I see it the same way you do. This is one that you need to leave feeling pretty good about uh, as you come back home against East Tennessee. So I, I like it. I think it's a good matchup. It's kind of interesting playing Michigan in Ann Arbor in May or at least at the end of April. Like, that's just very weird. I don't I don't remember the last time we've had an opponent Especially like that. It's Schubert, right? That was the Michigan commit. And then oh, that's flipped. right. Yes. Yeah. So that that's pretty interesting as well because they had the new coach and everything like that. Yeah, I forgot I all about Schubert because it was they had two guys flip. It was Schubert and Sylvester, I believe. But I, I think Schubert was Michigan. Yeah, I think you're right. I'll pull it up. But I, I'm you saying that rings a bell. Michigan, really, the only guy to watch out for for Michigan, just while you're looking that up and while we're wrapping up baseball, Connor O'Halloran. O'Halloran they're left-handed pitcher. He's normally Friday starter. They may start him on Saturday, though. He's really good. He's way better than every other pitcher on their staff. So we need to win that game. And if there was a game that I would think Oklahoma State might lose, it could be when he pitches because he can go seven, eight, nine innings if needed. Yeah, 100%. And you were correct. It was uh, University of Michigan and Nolan Schubert. Awesome. Thanks for looking that up. Nice okay, call. Okay, cool, Cade. Softball, probably won't go super long on the series from last weekend because I don't really want to recap it. Yikes. Oklahoma State Cowgirls softball gets swept by the Texas Longhorns. All the games were close. Oklahoma State actually out-hit UT 18-15 to 15 on the weekend. Yeah but got outscored 9-4. to four. Two of the games were lost by walk-offs. The walk-off home run in game two, I got to. I was watching that one live. The other two games I had to watch on replay. I couldn't believe it. Kelly Maxwell had a no-hitter going until that final inning. Oklahoma State was up 2-0, to zero, and they lose the game 3-2 to two on a walk-off home run by a freshman from Texas, who's really good, but still a freshman. It just it looks like Maxwell... We, you know, we saw her struggle earlier in the season. She's kind of coming to form now. But when you see this box score or the final score and see she pitched, you're like, oh, man, Maxwell struggled. She did not. She was on fire the entire game and just kind of blew up a little bit in the seventh. So that was tough. But, Kate, the bats got to get going. I, I, Have I don't to. really know what else. It, it's not so much that they've got to get going. They've got to get the ball into the right spots. <laughs> they're, they're hitting it hard. They're just hitting it at people. They've got to get more runs. They've got to knock some out of the park. I mean, they they out hit Texas 18 to 15. So it's not so much the number of hits, it's the placement. It's being able to bring runners in, not leaving girls on base. Overall, the pitching has been solid. 
the bats just have to score runs, I guess is a better way to say it. Yeah, and I think it it goes back a little bit, though, to some trending uh, problems that we've seen. It wasn't just against Texas that the bats were in trouble. I mean, look at Wichita State. That's a game that they lost. They scored one run in. Lost one to Iowa State. They scored two. And in the game they won against Iowa State, they scored three and five. So it's it's a concerning direction heading into really like the rubber meeting the road part of the schedule. So I think at this point, Dustin, that really kind of wraps up the big 12 for Oklahoma state. Wouldn't you say, I mean, unless you go sweep OU, I I still think that that's, that's going to be tough to overcome. Yeah. I think they're in third right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you have really a path unless something happens in front of you, which would be great. You know, they got it last year. It would be great to win again, win the tournament, win all that. But the thing that is catching my eye, Kate, is, is they're still number four in RPI. And that's going to be taken into account when they name those final eight top seeds. Sure. You want to be in that. You want to be a top eight seed. Oklahoma State just needs to continue to win. They may drop some to OU. If OU sweeps them, it probably wouldn't be a huge shock with how they're playing right now. Right. If you would have told me a couple of weeks ago, I'd think Oklahoma State would have a chance in that series. I still think they do, but you got to keep that RPI up. You got to get a top eight seed. You can't d- let that discourage you about not being able to win the Big 12 regular season. Because, Kate, if you look at them statistically, they're still top five in batting average on base percentage, 13th in ERA, 18th in struck- walk to strikeout, strikeout to walk ratio, and second. In fielding percentage, you know, they have one error and I'm watching the game and I'm like, man, another error. And then I'm like, wait, they don't ever get errors. It just feels like it, I'm going to blame that when they lose. I mean, they're second in fielding percentage. So it's just, you know, your Beckers, your works, your factors, your Naomi's, your wins. Hits on the weekend for Becker, work and factor. Naomi and win only one hit on the weekend. Talon Edwards was amazing. Five hits on the weekend. If those ladies can step it back up and deform how they were earlier in the season, you're fine. Those are your best hitters. They just got to get back to even close to what their average was, and you'll be fine. Yeah, 100%. I think a get-right series in Lubbock this weekend against Texas yeah. Tech, don't you? This like, should be a sweep. You you need to sweep this, and, and then you need to win against North Texas, and that sets you up for the showdown we've been waiting for for three months now against OU and Stillwater. Yeah, I said it was a favorable series for the boys against Michigan. The girls are taking on another favorable series because their pitching has been great. Texas Tech can hit. Their problem, Texas Tech's problem has been their pitching. So maybe this, like you said, is yeah, a get right, nice. get the bats going. They're 190th in ERA, 161st in fielding percentage. Get some balls in play. Let some things happen. Score runners when they're on base. Absolutely. It's critical now. I mean, we're we're at the meat of the schedule. And as you said, you got to be in the top eight. If I, I, I think we get asked a lot, like what would be a disappointment? What would be a success? I think a disappointment for this season would be to not host a super regional. That would be yes. a very big disappointment, I would think. Oh, especially with how the season started off and how for sure. great everybody was. And not like it was a flash in the pan. It was 70% of the, 38 games. Of the season. Yeah. There were 35 and three. So, yeah. So, okay. Kate, you ready for the quick roundup before we get to questions? Let's go. All right. And actually I do want, I am going to pause this time on the first one. Cause I do kind of want your take on this first okay. one. Not that I don't want your take on the other ones. You can chime <laughs> in whenever, but normally I'm like speed talking. So Calgary basketball, JC Hoyt, given the extension 
after her first season. Her original contract was five years, 500000 a year. So extended on top of that, we haven't seen, unless they came out recently, I haven't seen all of the details. Is this too early? Is this a Travis Ford situation here, I was just going to say, boy, do we do this a lot. I mean, I, I like J.C. Oyd a lot. I think she's come in and she's so done do some great things on the recruiting trail, too, after that season. So I think you're seeing a, a positive trend. Um, I saw one of her newest recruits, Riley Langerman, uh, in a photo giving her a piggyback ride. So uh, I think that the girls like her a lot, and I think it shows – I. Uh, my first thought was, can we just get through two seasons before we start throwing, uh, you know, money towards a coach? But at the same time, it's it's not often that you get to do that with a women's basketball coach at OSU in the first season. So I like it. It shows yeah. a, a good commitment. I don't have a problem with it. They must really like her. I know a lot of people exit in the transfer portal. But like you said, they're getting some players back. We'll see how year two goes. Again, I I would like to wait till year two on some of these contracts, not just for women's basketball, for all sports, but we'll see how it goes. I think you got to some, it, it's a, you know, it's a game. Do you lock them in for the long term, or do you risk that they could leave kind of thing? So we'll see how it goes. And okay, just side note, one day we just have to have our good friend, Alex Fuller on just to talk about the Travis Ford contract. We could just let him talk for like 45 minutes and you and I can just be on the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he has a take. I'm actually surprised we have not discussed it before this point. <laughs> okay, Cade, moving on. Men's golf. They're in the Big 12 tournament right now. They finished round two, starting round three in second place. They started off today's round crushing it. And then I believe they dropped all the way back to fourth when I last checked. I think that's where it was finalized. They were killing it on the front nine they were, you know, kind of distancing themselves from everybody else. I think Texas Tech was in third, who's really good as well. OU was in the lead. They're 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 ranked tenth. OU's really good this year, and they just kind of drop off. So we'll see tomorrow. I believe the final round is broadcasted on. E- I think it's ESPN Plus. So you can watch it. It'll be during the day. I'll probably be tuned in for that. We'll see if they can kind of make up some ground. I don't think anybody's going to be able to catch OU. They kind of are going off right now, but. Coming in second would be nice, could help seeding for the conference tournament. On the women's side, they did not advance past um, – or sorry, the women won. I, sorry, I was looking down at track. The women won the Big 12 championship in Dallas. They defeated Baylor. They won by seven strokes. Madison henson Tolchard won the field. She won by one stroke. That's the Cowgirl golf team's 11th Big 12 title and second – in the last three years, they're going to return to action on May 8th for regional play. And then obviously they'll be in the NCAA tournament then. So pretty awesome for the girls that rank number 23 to win the Big 12 tournament. A lot of good teams in there. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Dude, I think, is that just a big time kind of turnaround from where we thought at the beginning of the Cowgirl golf season with well, yeah. all the all the transfers out like all of the Absolutely. top players except for Henson Dolchard. We were talking about it uh, multiple times during the beginning part of the season that this was not looking like a good trajectory. So they really righted the ship and uh, you, you'd love to see it. Agreed. Track uh, had a, another multi-meet weekend. It seems like those are happening. I'm not super locked in on track, but it seems <laughs> like they've had these multi-meet Hard sport weekends. to watch. 
several weekends in a row. Yeah, there's not even stands. So uh multi-week, multi-meet. Just wander in the back door. It's just kind of a weird situation. No tickets. You just kind of hope for a door propped open. It's weird. Sometimes you watch it. Sometimes you accidentally walk into a track meet. You don't even yeah, know what's going on. Stumble in. They were in Norman and Palo Alto. They had four individual winners throughout the weekend. So that was pretty awesome. They have another multi-meet week upcoming Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and then in Lubbock, Texas at the Corky Crowfoot Shootout. Just wanted <laughs> to say that name. So uh, next tennis, kind of disappointing from both teams. The men fell to second-seeded TCU in the Big 12 Championship at Jayhawk Tennis Center. That moved them to 13-13 and 13 on the year. I don't think the selection has happened yet for the NCAA tournament. But I think the Cowboys are kind of on the bubble. That would start May 5th if they get in. I think the selection is sometime this week. I tried to look it up right for the podcast and couldn't find the good info on it. The women will get into the tournament. They're ranked 18th. They lost in the semifinal matchup to number 12, Texas. They're 15-7 and seven on the year, 8-3 and three in conference play. And they will find out their selection soon as well. That may actually have happened today. I didn't check the women. But both of them will find that out soon. And then, Cade, last thing, wrestling. I wanted to talk about one thing on wrestling real quick. They also had rule changes like football that I think are kind of exciting for guys yeah. like you and I. Punching allowed. That's insane. <laughs> but it, it has to do with the scoring. They're going to now be – they're going to award three points for a takedown. It was formerly two, which – Really, the scoring and wrestling, the two, and then the riding time can give you the the one. So it's giving you more points for a takedown, which is great that that's kind of being weighted more. That was really the one I wanted to hit. The other two I don't think are as significant for guys like you and I to talk about, but I do want to talk about kind of that scoring one. I think it's a kind of a big boost there. And then Troy Spratley transferred from Michigan where he was 10 and four as a red shirt this past season. He's at 125. He's transferring to Oklahoma state. This is big time because Oklahoma state has two time national choir fire and 125 pound starter Trevor master Giovanni, not competing for the last two months of the season. And his brother, Travis master Giovanni entered the transfer portal. So I think there were some questions at 125 to pick up this big transfer, Troy Spratley. So I wanted to call that out just because it's a big time wrestling transfer that made its way to you and I. So I thought I'd put it in the roundup. Yeah. I mean, if it gets here, that's a big deal. Cause usually we just pass that on to Lee. We bring him on <laughs> once a year and we just say, Hey, you, you take this. I, yeah, I love it, wrestling. It's just a hard one to keep up with. So uh, 100%. it's fantastic. And Leo will probably talk about that more on Dynasty Defined. Cade, should we move into questions? Yeah. Hey, have you ever, real quick, have you ever been to a track meet? I'm just going to double all the way back here. Have Not an OSU one. one? A, a track meet ever, end of sentence. In junior high, I, w I did track and field, but that was the last time. I I've been to a high school one, I think. I'm like asking. Yeah, okay. I'm asking because... It, that is a sport that could use a rule change to shorten the length of events. I'm just going to take us all the way back here. I, I My wife was in track in high school, and we we would sit out there for 10 hours. And she ran in the 4x1 and 4x4, and they would run the 4-mile around the track right before that. So it was it, talk about a rule change and needing of restructuring. I'll stand on that soapbox about track and field all day. 
What about shrinking the athletes to where you could watch everything at once? Like an Ant-Man situation? I think that is much more realistic and reasonable yes. of an expectation. Thank you for I've letting got, me I've that show box. Yes. No, I, I love a good wrestling recruiting talk with a track and field soapbox right after. That's how I yeah. want to do in the podcast. So, well, let's get to questions and let's rebound from that moment. <laughs> okay. First one's not really a question. It was a suggestion from our guy M at camera one at underscore camera one underscore. He says, suggestion for the next pod. Talk a little about how this 2024 football recruiting class is looking great so far. We talked recruiting earlier, but to his point, Oklahoma State's 24th in the 247 recruiting rankings with their seven commits. Again, it's early. It's early. So the more commits you have is going to boost that score. Their average recruiting ranking is quite a bit below some of these teams that are in the top 10, top 15. But it's pretty awesome comparatively to last season when they were, I think, like in the 70s or 60s at this point. So it's awesome to see them at 24, and I hope they kind of continue to build off this. Not, and we know reasons why last season's class was a little bit smaller, maybe you know some late guys added in there. So you and I kind of, that was never a super negative for us, but it's great to see this kind of rebound from that either way. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's always early to be looking at recruiting rankings. I, I, I like to look at it as it, we're approaching signing day because that's really where things are starting to shape up to where you can expect them to end. It's early for me, but you like you love to see it, and I think it quiets some of the uh, usual conversation points around this time of year. Agreed. Next is GIA Enthusiast at ACCT Poke, Accounting Poke. He says, honestly, if the whole pod was just offensive line depth chart, I'd be happy. Ooh, you and me both. You and me both. Yeah. No, but Katie, I was thinking for this one, instead of us going into the diving into it again, since we just did it a week ago, I could just read off the ones and twos from when I was at practice. Yeah. Spin the ones and twos. <laughs> so, at left tackle, number 67, Cole Birmingham. Left guard was number 73, Jason Brooks. Center was Joe Maholski, number 66. Right guard was number 74, Preston Wilson. And right tackle was number 61, Jake Springfield. Behind them, left to right, left tackle, Jack and Dean. Left guard, Davis Dotson. Center, Austin Kowecki. Right guard, Taylor Matirko. Right tackle, Calvin Harvey with Noah McKinney rotating in. Dalton Cooper was sidelined with his plantar fasciitis injury. I think he will slot into one of those one tackle spots. That was the ones and twos that I saw at practice and our buddy um, that was at practice Saturday didn't say anything different, didn't have any takes on the offensive line. So I'm assuming it was the exact same. Yeah. I mean, a whole lot of youth on that second level of the depth chart. Big time. Yeah. Uh, next we've got Connor. He says at, or his handle is at underscore me next underscore time. He says, do Green and Owens have any advantage blocking DBs this year? Ooh, that's great the first part of the question. I, I think 100%. They had so many reps at practice at Cowboy Back. Green has, he, he did basically a season plus a spring, I think. So I, I think both those guys do. And, and from what I saw from Green at practice, he looked very comfortable blocking in space. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. And I think the reason you asked the question is because you expect it too. So I, that's that's a nice observation, uh, especially at that perimeter position, which we've talked about this. Oklahoma State's receivers needed to do a better job there. 
And then his second question was, would you rather have Bowman or Shane Illingworth for a one-year rental this season? Cade, I'll throw it Bowman. to you, but I, I'm going to answer Bowman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, sorry. sorry. No, I stepped on I, you. No, I, 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 just, I just don't think Illingworth now has that season at Nevada, but Bowman has so much more experience. And with how Illingworth performed in his you know, limited amount of time as a starting quarterback, outside of Oklahoma State with compared to how Bowman performed in basically a full season more at Texas Tech, I think you got to go with Bowman. I couldn't imagine the way last season would have looked with a Shane Illingworth back there behind that offensive line. Uh, it would have been an it was already a disaster. It would have been an abject disaster if if it was just his lack of mobility would have been a huge part of that. This year, I still think you take Bowman. I think you lose some of the arm strength, but you get more in processing ability, uh, mobility. Uh, I I think this it, it's Bowman. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next, we've got Ross at our lawyer two twelve. He says, "Do you think Gabe Brown is developing enough to add some depth to the linebacker room, or will the staff go out and get a guy out of the portal?" So, Ross, my understanding is the scholarships are full. So unless somebody leaves, I don't think they could go get somebody out of the portal. But to answer your question, I do think Gabe Brown, he was he was rotating in twos and threes. So I, I mainly with the threes, but I like Gabe a lot. Uh, Joe Bob Clements' son, Chance Clements, is another guy who I like. I don't think he'll crack the too deep. But those are some guys kind of lower on the depth chart, two names that kind of pop out to me. But I think... I think if everything goes well health-wise, they've got five guys they really like, and then they've got Donnie Stevens, who I think they like, but doesn't really have any experience. So I think they're okay. I would just love to have another more experienced linebacker, but at this time, I don't think they're going to get anybody out of the portal because I don't think they can. Well, I'll say this. The day Gabe Brown cracks the two deep is the day I retire from this podcast because I think that was the most outlandish thing I've said. And you and Adam both looked at me. I know we don't do a video podcast, but you both looked at me with a little bit of a crooked eyebrow when I said <laughs> I think he could be a contributor. So I'll, that's when I'll retire. And then Ross's second part of the question is the softball team is really struggling. Do they do you think they can produce enough offense to make it back to the women's college world series? It's been really bad as of late. Kid, I think they can, because you talked about it earlier. They showed it through 38 games of the season. They're still fifth in batting average and fifth in on base percentage because of how good they were right. through 80% of the season. So nothing makes me think they can't get out of this slump and it hasn't been a long enough slump, you know, two weeks that I really, th and, and again, they out hit Texas. Last weekend, it still wasn't a lot of hits, but they out hit them. So I, I think they can turn it around. Now, could they not? Maybe, but everything data wise leads me to believe that they can. Yeah. Oh, they from a, a potential perspective, they could sweep. Uh, they could win every game on their schedule. It's just are they going to do that? Probably not. But I do think that they have all the tools in place to be able to make a late run here, get right back squarely in that national title picture. I absolutely think that they can do that, and they will rebound. I, I fully expect that. Agreed. Ross, thanks for the questions. Those were great. And our last one – oh, wait. Actually, I think we have two more. Our last one, they kind of go hand in hand. They're both about Colorado. Robert oh, sure. Dennis at RT Dennis, our good buddy, friend of the pod. Thanks, Robert, for the question. He says, is there anyone at all on Colorado's list of transfer portal entrants that you think would be a fit at OSU? Let's say, Cade, 
that they do have a scholarship open. I'll answer this one because I saw him post this, so I pulled up the list. If you want me to go ahead and answer first. Yes. I think I would I would maybe take Deion Smith, their running back, six foot, 190 pounder. He rushed for like 400 yards and two touchdowns last season, but he was their leading rusher. Again, on a really bad Colorado team with a really bad offensive line. Just to throw another running back in the mix, I think I would take him. They also had, you know, a couple of good receivers transfer, but everyone else seems to be, you know, there's a couple, there's a linebacker, there's a safety who played a little bit. Everybody else looks to be guys who hadn't really played a lot yet, aside from those receivers, the running back, and I think that's safety. So I'd probably go with that running back, Deion Smith, if I had to pick one. I I don't have a name for you, but there are multiple offensive linemen in the portal, and I just I'm to the point where I just want depth there. So any offensive lineman that's contributed worth a darn at Colorado, I think what you would take. Am I wrong in that? No, I a hundred percent agree with you. I completely agree. I'd take any offensive lineman at any time. Yeah. So things are getting rocky up there. You could say. I mean, it, it's not. Yeah, looking that great. was. Yeah, and the next question is kind of about, so OK State Probs, if you follow at OK State Probs, he tweeted out a picture of Dion with a quote, you know, saying it was obviously a fake quote, but about him wanting to leave the Pac-12. So our friend Garth still just kind of threw that at us in the DMs and said, OSU versus Colorado again, Gundy versus primetime, first prime thoughts, guys, on that. I'm I'm fine with Colorado crawling back and licking their ruins and coming back to the Big 12 if they want to. Yeah, I'll also say this. If Colorado's back in the Big 12, I don't think Deion Sanders is the coach by then. I, I think that's a couple years down the road. And I, I am of the belief that this is a failed experiment very fast. I I feel like the personality, Colorado itself, does not mesh. You've got 40 guys in the portal. He said, he did say to his credit, that he's bringing Louis Vuitton luggage with him. But at the same time, you need guys. And 40 in yeah. the portal is half of your roster. Um, I, I I would say if Colorado's back in the Big 12 in two years, Dion's not the coach. I, I like that take, Cade. You went kind of a I'll different get spicy. way with it. I'll get spicy. <laughs> I like no, but thanks, Cars, for pointing that out. Thanks, guys, for the questions. Again, the fact that we're still getting five, six, seven, sometimes more questions every week during the off season. We really appreciate it, guys. You guys ask awesome questions that sometimes pretzel Cade and I's brains because we're not very smart. So if we don't always give a great answer, sometimes we're looking at these pretty close to when we record, but we want to answer every question. We try to. I know we didn't get to many last week because of the time constraints, but thank you so much. Cade, I think that's all I have, and I don't really know what to do with myself because there's no Tuesday night softball or baseball. Yeah, time. well, why don't you take the night off? I'll give some time back Thank in your you. day. You, you go see the family. You take care of that baby of yours. Um, one programming note, we will be recording much earlier than usual this coming week, just due to some scheduling constraints. So you'll see the podcast next week earlier than usual. Yeah, so we just probably won't take any questions that. either on that one because it'll be it'll be an odd time. So we'll right. probably just go ahead and not take questions because I doubt we would even get any when we have to record. Yep. So yeah, no, no question. So uh, thank you for that, Dustin. Just be looking for that podcast uh, at a stranger time next week, early in the week. So Dustin, appreciate you as always, man. Thank you for the recruiting breakdown. Love seeing that. 
transfer portal. I think by next week, though, I think we'll have another guy out of the portal for Oklahoma Love State it. basketball. That's my prediction. If you're not already, you can follow Dustin at Dustragu. You can follow me at Cade Webb, and you can follow us at Feels Like Forty Five Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We will see you guys back here next week. Have a great week. Go Pokes.